Thank you for standing by, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to today's webinar. We have with us Mr. Nicholas Bornozis, President of Capital Inc. and organiser of the event. I must advise you the conference is being recorded today, and we now pass the floor to Mr. Bornozis. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, and uh, good morning to everyone. This is Nicholas Bornozis, President of Capital Inc., and I would like to welcome you to the Capital Link webinar series and to today's webinar. Today's webinar will feature fixed ratings on the topic of leverage trends and utilization by U.S. closed-end funds. We're delighted to have with us today our featured presenters from Fixed Ratings, Craig Davilovich, Senior Director, and Brian Knudsen, Associate Director, Fund and Asset Manager. Please note, this event is accessible through a live audio webcast and then it will also be available as an audio archive through www.capitallinkwebinars.com. Please note that the presentation slides are user-controlled. That means that to access the presentation, please look to the right, to the top right-hand corner, and you will see the two buttons titled Preview Slide and Next Slide. So by clicking on either button, you can move forward or backwards on the presentation on your own. There will be a Q&A session after the presentation. Webinar participants can submit questions through the special button on the event page titled Ask a Question or email them to us at questions at capitallinkwebinars.com. Please note you can submit a question at any time during the event and our presenters will address your question at the end uh, you know, during the Q&A session. The opinions expressed by the presenters are not intended as legal or investment advice or advice of any kind, as a matter of fact, and are provided for informational and educational purposes only, and Capital Link bears no responsibility for them. Furthermore, this presentation may contain forward-looking statements concerning future events. Please save the date for our 17th annual Closed-End Funds and Global ETFs Forum on Thursday, May 17, 2018, at the Metropolitan Club in New York. The forum will qualify for continuing education credits, and so that, by the way, today's uh, webinar. And uh, I'd like to thank Fixed Ratings for their partnership and uh, for working with them for many years. We're delighted to have them with us today, and I will turn the floor to Brian. Brian, please go ahead. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Nicholas. Uh, this is actually uh, Greg, and uh, thank you very much, everybody, for joining uh, Brian and myself for, uh, for the presentation today. And thank you for uh, to Capital Link for uh, for hosting us again for their webinar series. Uh, we, as a reminder, we update our uh, data uh, on leverage trends in the, in the closing fund market on a semi-annual basis uh, to correspond with the reporting periods. And so our next uh, update will be uh, we'll be presenting that at the uh, Capital Link uh, conference in uh, in May, as uh, as Nicholas mentioned. Uh, our, our role here at uh, Fitch Ratings, uh, we work in the uh, Funds and Asset Management Group. Uh, our uh, responsibilities include assigning ratings to debt and preferred shares uh, issued by closed-end funds primarily, uh, as well as writing research uh, on trends in, uh, in the industry and interfacing with uh, with investors uh, and, and other market participants. So uh, to that extent, if, uh, if anybody has um, uh, follow-up questions after the webinar, Feel free to to reach out uh, to either Brian or, my, or myself, and we we're happy to continue the uh, discussion. So, as Nicholas mentioned, the uh, slides are self-controlled. So, let's go over to the next slide, uh, which is uh, just a quick overview of uh, Fitch's ratings in the uh, uh, closing fund sector. 
We rate uh, just over $30 billion worth of uh, debt and preferred shares issued by a little more than 200 uh, close-in funds. Uh, you can see from the uh, from uh, the table here, or the uh, chart, that most of the ratings are uh, fairly high at the AAA or AA categories. This reflects the very strong performance of uh, closing fund debt and preferred shares, uh, the uh, the strong structural features, as well as the historical performance, uh, including through the financial crisis um, and, and the uh, the historical kind of default and transition. Uh, uh, Parameters of, of these securities, which are uh, essentially non-existent, well, not non-existent defaults, and so uh, at Fitch we're, we're very comfortable with the with the ratings we assign uh, in this sector. Uh, we've rated closing funds through the crisis, you know, before the crisis and during the crisis, uh, where the securities we rated performed fine. We've updated our methodology post-crisis with some of the lessons learned, and since then have been rating uh, closing funds on a on a stable basis. Um, on that methodology. Uh, a side note, you can see in the chart that uh, in a few cases there are short-term ratings assigned, and so we we look to the structural protections in a portfolio uh, in the management company of the um, manager of the closing fund to assign the long-term ratings, uh, and then the short-term ratings are assigned in some cases where uh, preferred shares benefit from a uh, liquidity facility uh, from a bank, primarily these are the VRDPs, which are sold to uh, to money funds. Uh, and so, with that, I'll uh, turn over to the next slide, and we'll we'll start going through the uh, the meat of the presentation. Uh, so the first one is is an overview of uh, closing fund leverage ratios. Uh, this is this reflects data from a little more than 400 uh, leveraged closing funds. Uh, uh, where we pulled the data from uh, from their financials, um, you can the leverage ratio is essentially our total leverage of the funds divided by the total assets, and they are the leverage ratios are restricted by a number of factors: uh, one, regulation, uh, covenants in debt or preferred shares uh, document, and of course uh, risk management uh, parameters of the of the managers. And you can see here that. Municipal uh, leverage ratios tend to cluster a little bit higher than taxable uh, closing fund uh, leverage ratios, just given the historical uh, kind of greater stability in the municipal sector uh, and more uh, more variability in, in taxable. So uh, with that overview, I'll turn it to Brian to talk about um, some of the changes uh, in the leverage ratios uh, from, from last year. Yeah, so taking a look at this chart compared to our webinar last year, uh, there have been some changes on the municipal side. Leverage ratios have trended a bit higher, especially following the election uh, due to overall asset value declines in the municipal sector. <clears throat> on the taxable side, we've seen the opposite of that. Uh, ratios have actually trended lower due to rising asset values. In addition to that, some managers <clears throat> in certain sectors, such as MLPs, have been hesitant to add uh, additional leverage uh, just to be a little more conservative given the amount of volatility that we've seen over the past two years. Thanks, Brian. So now we'll, we'll turn over to the next slide, uh, taxable closer fund uh, leverage profile. Uh, it, this is a historical view of uh, leverage, nominal leverage and taxable closing fund, funds uh, by, by type of leverage. Uh, we can see how it evolved over the last couple of years. And then over the last 
three semiannual periods, we've seen an increase in the nominal leverage following a decline um, that, that's really based off of the, uh, the MLP sector performance that Brian mentioned. Uh, so, Brian, can you walk us through some of the key trends here? Yeah, so <clears throat> taking a look compared to the first half of 2016, we have seen a very, pretty large increase in leverage of $2.7 billion, or about 5.8%. This was led by high yield and loan funds, which accounted for $1.1 billion of the increase. If you kind of think about where we were in the first half of 2016, this makes sense as kind of oil, <clears throat> oil and high yield uh, were selling off leading up until February. There's been a recovery since. Uh, so since the since that recovery, managers have been adding additional leverage, primarily in the form of bank debt. MLP funds have also added leverage, but not to the same extent as before the sell-off in energy. Uh, they've increased by about 450 million since the first half of 2016. As stated on the last slide, managers have been managing a little more conservatively. Uh, just given the volatility that we've seen over the past few years. We've also seen uh, some small decreases in ARPS outstandings, which we will talk about later in, in the presentation. Okay. And then a uh, couple of times recently, we've noted the decrease, continued decrease in, in ABCP or um, rather leverage provided by ABCP conduits. Can you talk about what's driving that? Yeah. So over the past few years, it seems like the ABCP conduits have either <clears throat> decreased appetite for lending to closed-end funds or have increased the cost as closed-end funds. This has been a, a, an observable trend over the past few years, and we've seen ABCP balances decline pretty significantly. Uh, this has caused a, a shift to new preferred shares being issued, which are term preferred shares, which we'll touch on later in the presentation as well, uh, to replace VRTP shares, which historically have been placed with the ABC conduits. Additionally, uh, we do expect this, this decline to continue as the current outstanding facilities reach their termination date and aren't renewed. Okay. And now let's turn uh, to the next slide, um, an overview of the municipal uh, closing fund leverage profile. So much more stable here uh, and in terms of nominal leverage. We've seen an increase uh, between the first and second half of 2016, but then more stable uh, recently, Brian, again, can you just walk us through the main, uh, main observations here? Yeah, so we did see <clears throat> over a 5% increase in nominal leverage employed between uh, the first half of 2017 and first half of 2016. Uh, this is really done in the form of VMTP and VRDP issuance, which accounted for about $1.5 of this. Uh, the strong performance of municipal bonds and as a class in 2016, well, early 2016, drove leverage ratios lower. And managers who were refinancing in 2016 took that opportunity to, addition, to issue additional VMTP and VRDP shares, which is where this increase is coming from. VMTPs do remain popular as they give, they give the manager some certainty into the cost as it's a negotiated transaction with the bank. Uh, versus kind of a market-dictated rate, which we've seen with, with IMTPs, which tends to have more variability in the spreads. Um, and then overall, we've seen a small decrease in ARPs, uh, similar to the taxable sector. Okay. Thank you. Uh, 
Okay, now let's turn next slide, uh, municipal closing fund leverage issuance. Uh, so quite a big contrast here between 2016 and 2017. You can see 2016 was was a really strong year, and 2017 so far is, is turning out to be you know one of the weaker uh, years in terms of new issuance, uh, you know, since, since really over the last couple of years. So maybe uh, first, Brian, can you recap 2016? Why why the uh, the large volumes there? Yeah, 2016 was basically far surpassed issuance in recent years. It's a little over 8.8 .8 billion preferreds issued. This was primarily driven by mergers <clears throat> and associated refinancings, which in this case, uh, the acquiring fund. If they would issue a like-for-like -like security for the target fund, uh, the preferred shares outstanding. Uh, so the majority of these, the, the 8.8 .8 billion in 2016 was refinancing, and the, the majority as well were VRDP and VMTP shares. Now we did see some IMTP issuance earlier in the year, and this was actually to refinance some auction rate preferred shares. However, we haven't seen any issuance since. And I think also earlier in the year, as you mentioned, um, as when refinancing fund managers, in some cases, also took the opportunity to to upsize their their leverage um, to to match where uh, asset prices or valuations of the portfolios were. Uh, okay, so so now turning to 2017, which is a, a quite a stark contrast. Uh, can you can you talk about that? Yeah, we're definitely off to a quieter start in 2017. Uh, there's a few reasons for this. Uh, one is that we just haven't seen the same merger activity uh, that we saw in 2016. Um, and then the other reason is that <clears throat> kind of given the sell-off following the election, leverage ratios did trend higher. And that basically uh, caused the, the managers not to, they didn't need have the need to increase leverage. And as a result, haven't issued any additional preferred shares unless uh, it was for refinancing purposes. Uh, one trend that we are seeing is a new type of preferred called Muni Fund preferred shares. Now, these accounted for about 70% of the issuance year to date, with the remaining 30% either VRDPs or VMTP shares. And we'll touch on the MFP shares on the next slide. Okay, thank you. So, turning over to the next slide um, to talk about some of the new leverage structures we're seeing. So really, over the last couple of years, uh, we've seen a bit of innovation in the closing fund leverage market, uh, including the IMTPs that we talked about previously. Uh, but now we're seeing additional innovation. Um, maybe we'll start on the taxable side, where we have the term preferred shares, or uh, TPS. Brian, can you describe the key features of these? Yeah, so these, <clears throat> these uh, were first issued in 2015, but we've seen more issuance over the past year and a, basically past year. And these are preferred shares that have been distributed through kind of institutional high net worth and retail channels. Um, and they're publicly registered <clears throat> and have recently featured either five or seven year maturities. These have been primarily used by loan funds to refinance VRTP shares uh, that have traditionally been placed with either banks or ABCP conduits. Uh, some of the recent issuance has featured step-up coupons, uh, which the manager at that time actually utilized interest rate swaps to swap the coupon back into a floating rate coupon. And the goal of that was really to match the floating rate assets of the loan funds to the floating rate 
uh, liability of the preferred shares. And then on the tax-exempt uh, fund side, you mentioned the muni fund preferred shares, or uh, we call them the MFPs. And so they, they provide a little bit more flexibility to the, the fund managers. Can you describe these? Yeah, so the MFP shares are, they're actually a, it's a preferred share with a long legal final maturity. Uh, but before that maturity, the manager has the ability to put the preferred share into a different coupon mode. Uh, this mode dictates the, the coupon and the redemption mechanisms uh, for the preferred shares. These have been used to refinance existing preferred shares over the past year. <clears throat> Some of the modes that we've seen, we've seen a, a variable rate mode where the shares are placed an institutional investor for a set period. And there's also a variable rate remarketed mode uh, where holders are basically sold into the market and holders can attempt to tender their shares via a remarketing process. Uh, this, these preferred shares do give the, the fund some flexibility, though. It's, the fund has the option to designate a new fund after giving notice, at which point the shares basically be subject to a mandatory tender and remarketing under the new mode. And <clears throat> it'll also be interesting to see kind of going forward whether this becomes the, the dominant form of leverage in the sector just given that it, it does give the manager the ability to react to different market conditions with the ability to switch to different modes. Yeah, I think it's essentially uh, a way to think about the, the MFPs as like a platform, uh, and then you can change the mode, a long-term platform, and then you can change the mode periodically. Essentially, you can turn them into a VMTP-like structure or a VRDP-like structure, uh, and then at the end of you know one year or three years, whatever the term the, the mode term is, you can continue in that term or switch to a different term d depending on uh, market conditions. So I think it's it's meant to save um, some of the costs of refinancing and, um, and again, as Brian mentioned, provide flexibility. I think the, uh, the interesting point about the continued innovation in a, in a space uh, is fund managers continue to look to diversify their funding sources uh, just from a, a risk management perspective. That, that's prudent. Uh, as well as uh, uh, by diversifying the investor base, potentially uh, lowering the cost of the leverage over uh, the long term. Okay, so now we'll turn over to the next slide and talk about uh, the cost. Uh, we'll start with the tax-exempt uh, close-in funds. Uh, so we we haven't seen really much of a change uh, in the in the cost structure uh, over the last year or so. So. Brian, can you talk through that? Yeah, so you really haven't seen a material change in spreads uh, on the tax-exempt side. Uh, the majority of these, uh, the tax-exempt closed-end fund financing options are either tied to or trade in line with SIFMA. SIFMA is about the same rate that it was in April at the Capital Link presentation <clears throat> at the conference, so there really hasn't been too much of a change in total leverage costs. Uh, one note is IMTPs. We haven't seen much issuance, and see there's a kind of a wide, wide differential between the high and low cost of financing there, um, and that's been some inconsistency in pricing from transaction to transaction, uh, which may account for <clears throat> the uh, the minimal issuance uh, since early 2016. Yeah, and and before I move to the next slide, just a reminder, uh, there's a next to the slide buttons, there's there's another button that's called um, ask a question. So if anybody has any questions about the presentation, please go ahead and, and submit them. 
uh, we can monitor them real time and then we can address them um, or you can you can save your questions to the end if you like so now we'll turn over to the next slide talk about cost for taxable closing funds here uh, certainly more variability in the types of um, of cost structures and um, maybe we'll start with uh, I think you can think about it in terms of fixed or floating. Uh, so, Brian, maybe we'll start with the fixed uh, fixed rate uh, cost. Can you talk about the drivers there and, and some of the changes? Yeah. So, the fixed in terms of fixed rate, now we're talking about the private notes and private preferred placements that are typically placed with insurance companies. And the primary driver of the cost on these is really the treasury rate, uh, the prevalent prevailing tre treasury rate at the time and in turn the timing of issuance. Uh, these are basically priced at a spread to treasuries, uh, so that's really the main driver. And the spread itself may vary based on manager, fund sector, uh, the fund asset quality, or other, other uh, terms. However, really the, the main driver is treasuries, so be, <clears throat> that's uh, really ties back to timing. And then on the uh, on the floating side, um, and that's fairly straightforward. Floats off short-term rates. Anything you want to add there? Yeah, I think the one thing to add and to point out is on the reverse repo. There's a pretty wide variability from about 15 basis points to over 350 basis points. Uh, the variation here is due to funding in different currencies. So some funds are funding reverse repos in euros, uh, which is basically that 15 basis point observation. Uh, so, I mean, that definitely has an impact on the overall cost of the fund. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, now, turning over to the next slide. Uh, here we, uh, we're just going over um, some of the key participants in the bank financing market. Uh, these are the the main counterparties that provide leverage to uh, to closing funds. We haven't really seen much of a change here uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, you have few key uh, key banks that that are uh, essentially entrenched in this sector and, and like the sector and provide uh, leverage uh, either via uh, uh, credit facilities or margin loans or uh, reverse repos. Uh, ABCP used to be a little bit bigger of a bigger seg uh, segment, but as Brian mentioned, we've seen a fairly consistent decline there, uh, and we think that will continue. Uh, we we hear that there's continued demand from from other banks looking into the sector. It's as I mentioned earlier, it's a fairly considered a fairly low risk uh, sector. Uh, 1940 Act closing funds. Uh, one in particular, uh, one uh, worth mentioning is SockGen. It's kind of the newest uh, entry uh, here. Uh, they've they've increased their uh, their leverage uh, uh, provisions quite a bit to just under a billion dollars, um, and we'll see if uh, there, there's quite a few counterparties that are not disclosed. So it's uh, you know it's not the full picture, but but these these major counterparties are really the ones we've seen over the last couple of years. Okay. Uh, now, turning over to the next slide, as I mentioned earlier, uh, one of the key roles that, that we we see ourselves taking in this uh, sector is uh, writing about trends in the in the marketplace and uh, talking to investors and other market participants. Uh, so to that uh, to that end, we recently published a report about 
um, uh, updating essentially uh, about the uh, ARPs or the auction rate securities uh, market uh, 10 years after the financial crisis, uh, just uh, just under 10 years since the market first froze. So uh, we've seen a trickle of refinancing continue here. Um, and Brian, would you mind talking about uh, what's been driving the recent uh, refinancing trends? Yeah, so over say the past five years, one of the main drivers of ARPS refinancing was activist investors who have come in and, and purchased ARPS on the secondary market at a discount to par, and then tried to get representation on the funds board and push for liquidity on the ARPS or a below par tender. Uh, more recently, we've we've seen some of the penalty formulas and the maximum rate formulas on the ARPS become more expensive as short-term rates have increased. And so these, this has actually made ARPS less economical. So in some cases, we, there have been re- refinancings done at par uh, where the alternatives may have provided a, a, a better financing option than the ARPS. <clears throat> um, however, there's really only been kind of a handful of transactions over the past year or two. Um, and the remaining ARPs themselves are kind of concentrated within a few managers. And Brian, many of the, the recent deals, as you mentioned, have been done at below par uh, tenders. Can you talk about why that is? Yes, I, the, <clears throat> many of the deals have been tendered at below par. So this year, the lowest that we've seen was 89 and three quarters, uh, but the lowest that we've seen overall was at 83% of par in, in 2015. Uh, this the benefit for the fund and the common shareholders of this is that it it offsets the higher cost of refinancing into a new type of leverage. And say once you actually complete that tender, that the the tender itself is accretive to the fund's NAV. That NAV will increase as you take out a dollar of leverage at say the cost of, of below a dollar via the tender. Okay, and. Uh... Uh, we have a link to this report at the end of the presentation. Uh, the report contains a full list of the tenders uh, that we've seen and uh, some additional charts. So if anybody interested in the, in the full uh, full analysis, uh, please take a look at the report. You can access it just an email, Brian or myself, or we're happy to share it. Okay, uh, turning over to the next slide, uh, talk about Illinois exposure. Uh, so. You know, I think part of the the value of the the rating, you know, besides just rating the the instruments themselves, the debt or preferred shares, is the surveillance we provide uh, on on the funds that we rate. Uh, so we'll we'll review the funds uh, on a on a periodic basis, uh, look at trends compared to to think uh, think developments we're seeing in the market, and then uh, inform investors via this kind of research. So one recent one that, that we thought would be worth uh, looking at was. Um, Exposure to Illinois. Illinois was on the verge of being downgraded to uh, non-investment grade. That would be the first uh, U.S. state. Um, kind of Puerto Rico, obviously, was is is well below investment grade, but uh, but it's a territory. So Illinois would be uh, would have been the first state uh, to be downgraded below investment grade. And so uh, we want to look at the exposure in the municipal funds that we rate. So Brian, can you describe uh, some of our findings here? Yeah, so Illinois is the top state exposure in our rated national and high yield funds. <clears throat> However, this exposure is diversified diversified across issuers, sectors, and credit quality, as you can see in the top left chart. 
And so we were, we broadly felt that the, the exposures are manageable uh, within the rated funds. Uh, one exposure to point out <clears throat> was the Chicago Board of Education, which was the fourth highest Illinois exposure. It's rated single B due to pension issues and fiscal concerns. Holdings of the Board of Ed varied by manager <clears throat> uh, within the rated funds with the highest exposure, it's up to about 4%, although some of the portions of the holdings were insured. Overall, uh, we feel some, the exposures are manageable related to the uh, rated preferred shares uh, <clears throat> within our universe. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. And now turning over to the next uh, slide and really to the next three, three slides uh, show the NAVs and leverage ratios, more importantly, really leverage ratios over time uh, in a number of sectors. So we're not going to go uh, over each one in great detail, but uh, Brian, I think it'll be helpful for you if you can go over just kind of high level and describe the key trends in, in each one of these uh, sectors. Yeah, so high level, uh, first taking a look at municipal closed end fund performance. Uh, closed end funds, well, municipal municipals overall sold off after the election, uh, which caused leverage ratios to increase and NAVs to decline. However, there has been a recovery since then as concerns over Trump's policies haven't materialized and some of the policies haven't, haven't been pushed through. Moving on to the taxable side. Uh, so on slide 13, we have general equity closed-end funds and MLP closed-end funds. Uh, starting with general equity closed-end funds, uh, since the the election equities have overall seen a strong performance, which has pushed up NAVs and, and pushed down leverage ratios. Uh, we looked in terms of the MLP closed end funds, uh, they did kind of trade sideways for, for most of the year, uh, but they have been kind of experiencing a little bit more volatility over the past few months in line with oil. Um, and, and you can see that leverage has kind of trended up over the year as a result. <clears throat> Then moving on to uh, slide 14, high-yield corporate bond and senior loan closed-end funds. These have had good performance over the year as kind of commodities have stabilized and it really hasn't been much volatility in the market. Uh, <clears throat> and there's also been a kind of a benign default environment. Uh, you see the NAVs are up and, and discounts have narrowed on, on both, both uh, classes of funds. Okay. Thanks, Brian, for that overview. Uh, so... Uh, just turning to the next slide now, uh, this highlights, as I mentioned, we, we put out uh, quite a bit of research on the sector, so uh, here are links to some of the more recent uh, pieces that we did. Uh, if you're interested in learning how we actually rate uh, debt and preferred shares issued by closing funds, we have our rating criteria here, which is our, our methodology. Uh, we've uh, Over the last year, we've added an appendix with an example uh, showing uh, the rating analysis and, and got feedback that that's been quite helpful. So uh, you can take a look at that. Uh, and then lastly, if you're interested in receiving our, our research, uh, please sign up for the, uh, uh, the distribution list, uh, that first link, and uh, we'll, we'll send out the, uh, the research via email uh, as it's published. So with that, I think that, that ends our pre prepared remarks. Um, we'll, I guess we'll open the line for questions now if anybody has any. Uh, we've gotten a couple of questions uh, during the presentation, so I can cover those, but let's see if uh, there are any questions on the line first. 
participants, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star and one on your telephone keypad and wait for your name to be announced. If you wish to cancel that request, please press the hash key. Now, actually, the, uh, the uh, questions have to be submitted uh, electronically. Hello? Okay. So, uh, if there are no, no further questions, let me cover the, the, the two that we, uh, we did get. Um, so, one is around the expectations for, um, for leverage issuance uh, going forward. Uh, so, let me, uh, I think this relates to slide three. Uh, and and um, one, uh, one transaction that's not reflected in the data here uh, is a uh, recent Calamus transaction. Uh, we rated uh, about $600 million in uh, mandatory preferred shares, uh, ma mandatory redeemable preferred shares uh, that six Calamus closing funds uh, issued. Um, and I think that speaks to uh, some of the reasons for, for issuance and, and what we expect uh, going forward. So, I don't know, Brian, do you want to describe that a little bit? Yeah, so the, the motivation for the Calamus transaction that to the Prior to the preferred share issuance, they had been utilizing bank debt, uh, which under the 1940 Act uh, basically needs a three to one as a coverage ratio <clears throat> or a maximum of 33% leverage ratio. Adding the preferred shares gave them a little bit more flexibility in terms of managing their leverage ratios, allowed them to go a bit above the 33% uh, debt, debt limit, <clears throat> and also just gave them a little bit more flexibility to in terms of any, any required deleveraging. Uh, we do expect similar transactions like this going forward uh, where funds that only utilize debt add some preferred to their capital structure uh, just to give the managers flexibility. Um, and in one aspect of this transaction, it does seem like there's strong demand from investors for these types of securities, especially for kind of new asset classes. Historically, <clears throat> ML, over the past, say, five years, MLP funds have been the the vast majority of the issuance in the preferred share market on the taxable side. Uh, so it did seem like there was some appetite for uh, non-MLP assets. Yeah, I, I would just add, you know, some, some of the reasons for, for this kind of transaction, not not really specific necessarily to Calamus only, but in general funds, um, fund managers look to um, essentially add diversification to their funding sources um, to uh, Again, diversification in funding is, is generally viewed positively, and then there, there are a few other benefits that, that Brian mentioned. Uh, and then the other question we received was around the uh, the ARPs. Uh, we touched on that a little bit, but the question is uh, really what do we ex do we expect uh, ARPs refinancing to continue? Um, so I think we do expect uh, some, some refinancing uh, to happen. Uh, I think we... Some of the recent transactions that we've seen were driven by higher rates that make the, the ARPs less economical for, for the fund uh, common shareholders. And so to the extent uh, rates continue to rise and, and that impacts the uh, maximum rate formula calculations of the ARPs, uh, that makes it a little bit more palatable for common shareholders to, uh, to look for other funding sources, uh, particularly if, uh, if the ARPs uh, refinancing can happen um, at a, uh, a discount to, to par. So, as Brian mentioned, we've seen some tenders recently uh, in the, the high 80s, 
the cents to the dollar. Uh, so uh, those kind of discounts um, make it a lot easier from the, the common shareholder perspective uh, to, to justify the, the refinancing. Um, so that's really all we had. Um, and it doesn't look like there's there are any further questions. So again, uh, if anybody has any follow-ups, feel free to, to reach out to us directly. Uh, and with that, I'll turn back to Nicholas. Thank you very much. We had, uh, I think, a very uh, interesting uh, webinar. Uh, very, you know, the timing was great. And thank you very much for, uh, for being with us. Again, I would like to thank uh, all of our participants for uh, making this uh, event today another uh, great uh, webinar. And uh, we look forward to having you with us next time. As I mentioned at the beginning, uh, please be kind to save the date for our 17th Annual Clause and Funds and Global ETFs Forum for Thursday, May 17, 2018 at the Metropolitan Club uh, in New York. Thank you to uh, our presenters. Thank you to Greg and Brian. And thank you to all of you for being with us today. And we can all uh, uh, hang up and conclude. Thank you. Thank you. That does conclude the conference for today. Thank you all for participating. And you may now disconnect.